Hello and welcome to the Virtual Frontier, the podcast about virtual teams created by a virtual team. I'm Chris and I'm part of the team here at Flash Hub. On today's episode, we have Jacob Morgan. Jacob is the founder of the Future of Work University as well as a speaker, author, and podcaster. He spends a lot of time talking about remote teams, virtual teams, and the future of work. So here is episode four of the Virtual Frontier featuring our guest, Jacob Morgan. Hi, Jacob. Thanks for having us on our show. I'm especially proud to have you here on the show, especially because I watched your uh, TED Talks and some other shows, and they inspired me really to change how we work in our organization. And I'm pretty happy to have you here on the show and hear your opinions and your experience. So just introduce yourself to the audience. Well, first, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm glad some of the stuff I'm doing is in uh, inspiring people and getting getting them to think differently about work. So a little bit about me. Uh, I'm an author, speaker, and futurist. I received my professional certification in foresight from the University of Houston. And for the last 12, 13 years, I've been working for myself and writing books, speaking at conferences, and really just trying to help organizations figure out how do we create places where employees actually want to show up to work. So I focus on employee experience. I focus on the future of work and the future of leadership. Those are kind of like the the three domain areas that I focus on. And a lot of my time is spent between a couple areas um, speaking. So speak at around 40, 50 conferences a year, uh, writing books. I have my own podcast. I create uh, videos on YouTube. And I have something called the Future of Work University, which is a platform that I created to provide educational uh, course and training materials on various themes related to the future of work. So that's pretty much me. Okay, thank you. Very interesting. So what is what is your passion and why did you start to talk about employee experience and what is it? Well, I got into this because I had bad jobs working for other people. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, you know, I worked hard in college. I graduated with honors. I got a dual degree in economics and psychology. And my first job out of college, uh, you know, the CEO made me go get him coffee. So I thought, this is why I worked so hard in school is to get this guy coffee. And uh, that was one of the last full-time jobs I had working for anybody. And ever since then, I was just really interested in how do we create organizations that don't suck? Uh, How do we create companies where employees don't go through what I went through? And so that's what I've been focusing on for the last uh, 12, 13 years. And how did it start? I mean, you had a job and then you quit your job and became a freelancer or how was Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, at the time I was doing um, online marketing work, search engine optimization, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, while I had a full-time job, I created a blog. I started to get active on social media Mm -hmm. and I tried to find jobs on Craigslist uh, just so Mm -hmm. I can have like my own practice that I was building. And um, eventually got to the point where the money that I was making through my own clients was equal to or more than what I was making through a full-time job. And so I thought, well, I don't need this full-time job anymore. I'm already making enough to cover my expenses and pay my bills. So I quit my full-time job and went all in into working for myself. And like I said, it started with online marketing, with social media consulting, search engine optimization. And then through the 12, 13 years, it evolved into 
collaboration and future of work, employee experience and leadership. So the topics and the themes changed uh, as I saw kind of um, um, my interests change, my passions change and kind of the market change a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you compare your experience as a full-time employee in a company, in an organization to the experience of a freelancer, how is it different? Well, I like that I um, pick my own hours. I pick my own projects. I pick my own, I mean, I'm my own boss. Um, so I, I have a very hard boss that I work for. <laughs> uh, I don't have an income ceiling. So, you know, it's kind of up to me. Um, and you're building something for yourself instead of building something for other people. So, mm -hmm. I mean, all those things are huge benefits for me. My quality of life, I think, is much higher. Um, And I just love that flexibility and, and working and doing things that I want to do. And why do you think not every everyone is doing that? I mean, it sounds great. You are free. You can, <laughs> yeah. what you want. you can be where you want. What prevents people from doing that? Well, it's um, it's hard to build a business. I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. hard to, um, you know, if everybody can go out and get clients tomorrow and, and make as much as they're making through full-time jobs, they would do it. But the reality is it's hard. I mean, it's hard to find clients. Um, it's hard to build these relationships. It's hard to generate income for yourself. Sometimes you might have bad months or bad quarters or even a bad year. And so you might have to deal with a lot of stress, a lot of kind of emotions. I think it depends on your life stage, right? I mean, mm -hmm. when I went off on my own, I was single. I wasn't married, didn't have a mortgage. So I didn't need to make a lot of money. If I had to do something like that now, it would be much harder because I'm married, I have a child, I have a mortgage, I have a car payment. So it probably wouldn't have been as conducive uh, as it is now. And I think the last thing is that a lot of people, um, when you go off on your own, you have to do a lot of things that you didn't know, like create invoices, create proposals, build a website. So it doesn't matter if you're really good at... Um, I don't know, let's say you're consulting on, on, on marketing, for example, you're consulting on customer service. Just mm -hmm. because you're good at that one domain area doesn't mean you that's going to be enough for you to drive business. I mean, you need to be really good at building a brand for yourself. You need to be really good at um, building a website and marketing and building a logo for yourself. Like you have to do all these other types of things for your business that are outside of your core scope of work of what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And and that's hard and it can be overwhelming and it can be really tough. And I think um, once people realize that, sometimes they like the comfort and the ease of just knowing that they can just show up to work, do their jobs, get a paycheck, get their benefits. It might not be perfect or ideal, but they're okay. Mm -hmm. And do you think that technology and the whole digitalization makes it easier for people to become freelancers? Yeah, there's more opportunities. I wouldn't say that it makes it easier. The mm -hmm. What makes it easier is kind of yourself. Um, mm -hmm. There's no, just because the technology is out there means that there's more opportunities that you can connect with, but it doesn't change the fact that you still need to do all those other things. You still need mm -hmm. to build the brand. You still need to know how to do all those other different yeah. types of things. Um, but like I said, it does mean that there are more opportunities that you can tap into, mm -hmm. but even to tap into those opportunities for, I mean, you look at something like Upwork, uh, mm -hmm. which is how I found a lot of the freelancers that I work with. 
mean, yeah. even the people on Upwork, you can't just go on there and create a profile and expect people to find you. Sure. You got to build a brand for yourself. You got to create videos for yourself. People want to see a website. They want to see case studies and testimonials. They want to see your reviews. So you mm-hmm. have to build this brand for yourself. You have to build this persona so that people will want to work with you. But where a platform like Upwork comes into play is that it makes it easier for you to connect with those opportunities, but you can't, you won't get those opportunities unless you have all that other stuff going for you as well. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. So when you talk about um, Upwork and there are other talent marketplaces like freelancer.com, Guru, Fiverr, et cetera. So Lots of them, yeah. Growing, 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 ever-growing economy. Yep. Um how how big is your virtual team or is it a virtual team or are they all in the, your same city that support you? No, all virtual. I work with a team of um, probably um, 10, mm-hmm. between 10 to 12 people, depending on the work or the projects that we're doing. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a good size and they're all over the world. I mean, I have some people in the United States. I have some people in Serbia, some people in the Philippines, uh, somebody in New Zealand. So they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. So they are also all freelancers, right? Yeah. They are not yep. employees in some organizations. They work as freelancers for you. All freelancers, all independents. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, and just let's have a look at organizations. I mean, <clears throat> if more and more people will become freelancers. Which value does an organization have in the future? Well, um, I mean, organizations- I mean, especially for, for people working in the organization, sorry. Yeah. Well, for organizations, I think um, they're going to have to be more comfortable with working with diverse groups of talent. So not everybody that works for your company is going to be a full-time employee. You'll have some freelancers, you'll have some independent workers, some uh, part-time employees. So as an organization, you just need to be more comfortable knowing that you have a dynamic workforce and that everybody's going to be full-time. But I don't think full-time employment is going to go away. I don't think everybody will be a freelancer in the future. Um, if anything, what we're hearing or what I'm hearing from a lot of executives is that, is that they think that a lot of people will want to go to full-time work because we're seeing this, uh, this huge emphasis on employee experience, on creating great places to work. And so the rationale is that it'll, if a lot of organizations do that and emphasize that, then maybe that will help make employees yep. want to stay there longer. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like you're taking care, you know, for me, for example, if um, my first job uh, at a college, if I felt like I worked for an organization that cared about me, that gave me opportunities, that treated me well, I probably would have never gone off on my own. I would have been very comfortable and very happy there. And so um, if organizations do offer those types of things, then maybe the rationale is that we will have um people wanting to stay at companies longer. But if things don't change uh, and employees get frustrated and they feel like there's no room for growth or development, then of course they're going to leave. Right now, I mean, it's in the US, the same as in Europe, everyone is fighting for talent. I mean, I I ran an agency, a digital agency. We were building mobile applications and web applications and any kind of software. So, we need developers and developers are very, very hard to find. So it's yeah, and expensive. In, yeah. And very expensive and technology becomes more and more complex. So you need more and more experts and you don't need just one developer that can do everything that does not work. Yeah. You need a flexible workforce, but growing that flexible workforce locally is just not working. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
not even not from the business model because you have too many overhead costs. Um, how would you design a company that attracts people <laughs> that want to do projects as a service for organizations that are working on a digital transformation? So how could a modern digital agency look like from your perspective? Oh my goodness. Um, so I've never built an agency, so that's kind of hard for me to, um, to answer, but I know there are organizations that are um, exploring those types of ideas and models. I mean, it seems to me like the most logical thing to do would be to rely more heavily on freelancers where you can quickly uh, scale your projects up and down. Interestingly enough, a lot of the companies out there have uh, a larger freelance workforce than they have a full-time workforce. They just don't talk about it. I mean, companies like Google or uh, HP, for example, or Microsoft, I mean, they have a huge contingent workforce of freelancers, of gig workers, uh, but it's not advertised. It's not talked about. And so I think there's still a little bit of a stigma uh, for freelancers uh, for gig work, or at least for organizations who um, work with those types of people. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if I were building an agency for myself, I mean, I'd probably do what I'm doing now. I would build mm -hmm. a, um, of course, depends on how big of an agency you want to create. But for me, for what I do, like I said, I have 10 to 12 freelancers, all independent, um, mm -hmm. all working in different parts of the world. And for me, that's a very scalable and practical model course that also poses challenges if i were running an agency for example people that might leave in the middle of a project people that might get brought on in the middle of a project um, people who might find better offers elsewhere and they just kind of leave so there are pros and cons but i think definitely having more of that dynamic workforce that you can scale up or down is uh, probably the way to go mm. so you have your own virtual agency for yourself It's not so much of an agency because what a lot of what the people who do um, or a lot of the people who work with me, they're not servicing um, customers. They're not, um, you know, I, I have people, for example, who help me edit podcasts, who yeah, help but me. They, you are the customer. Yeah. This but it's a personal not, agency, for example. I, from that perspective, yes. So yes. it's kind of like the agency and I am the only client. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, from that perspective, yeah. yes. So but you didn't not, hire an agency, but you did hire your own virtual freelancers that serve yes. you as an agency would do that. Yes, yeah. yes. but it's not um, an agency model in terms of like, I have a bunch of customers that I'm delivering marketing materials for, and I have a project manager, and I have my own agency servicing other people. Sure, it's sort sure. of like all of these people are... Um, You know, I'm the only client, so they're all servicing yeah. me, so to speak. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. So if, if other big companies do that in the same way, they have huge amount of gig workers and freelancers, etc. But you said they don't talk about it and it's not advertised. What's the reason for that? Well, I still think there's a stigma for these companies. Um, uh -huh. Just in general, a lot of employees or a lot of organizations are getting a lot of... Um, a lot of, uh, I guess, negative press for, for letting go of employees, mm -hmm. for leveraging a lot of technology and automation. And so they there's a little bit of a stigma for organizations who don't prioritize or focus on full-time employment and on creating jobs. Mm -hmm. And instead they leverage you know gig workers or part-time employees. So I think there is a little bit of a stigma there mm -hmm. uh, as far as that goes. Um, But hopefully that will change in the coming years and a lot of these organizations will open up and they'll talk more about it. And um, 
I think it's also different, right? A lot of these organizations will work with agencies like Manpower or Kelly Services or Robert Half. And so these employees are oftentimes full-time or part-time, but they're just not directly employed by the company. So it's not like, it's not the same type of gig worker, like finding somebody on Upwork, but they are kind of contingent labor, so to speak. So similar, but not exactly the same. Um, and yeah, I just think there's still a little bit of a stigma for companies that uh, have a lot of those types of employees who work there. Okay. So if we if we would design a company or an organization that would provide freedom, flexibility, people can choose where they want to work, with whom they want to work, etc. Which services or must this kind of company or organization provide and which attributes must it have? So how could an architecture look like of such an organization? Well, there are some organizations out there that look like that, um, mm -hmm. that have that kind of um, that structure. Uh, but for me, flexibility comes ultimately from, uh, you know, you, you need to have the right technology in place so that employees can communicate and collaborate. You need to have the right employees who believe in accountability and who believe in um, autonomy. You need to have the right leaders in place who encourage that and who believe that as well. And then you need to have the right uh, guidelines or policies or practices in place that, that encourage that um, too. So you need a lot of different pieces to come together to make sure that that works uh, as far as having that freedom and flexibility. And it's not always easy. As we've seen some companies, they've killed their flexible Uh, they're flexible work programs and have forced employees to all show up in the office. Uh, so there are mm -hmm. a couple of companies out there that have done that. Um, so not everybody's comfortable with it. And it's uh, it's a hard thing, I think, for a lot of organizations to get over. And what do, what do you think will, will help? I mean, it's not only technology, right? It's technology that supports it to work from everywhere, for example. Cloud technology yep. makes <clears throat> flexible. But if it is not that easy, what do organizations need to understand, need to know, need to put in place to make this change? Well, so a couple of things I covered, right? Um, you need to make sure you have the right leaders in place who don't believe that their job is to micromanage and to constantly um, look over the shoulders of their employees. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to make sure that you have a culture of autonomy, uh, autonomy and accountability where employees mm -hmm. are still able to step up to deliver good quality work. Um, you need to make sure that employees still feel like they're a part of a team. So having that kind of culture, the mission, the values that translate to employees who are virtual. And uh, I think those are probably good places to, um, to start and, and test, you know, test it out with a small group of your workforce if you want and start to introduce it broader and broader and see the impact is, uh, see what, what happens. So to start with some Tests like, um, yeah, let people work from home, let people start yeah. on projects and then grow positive experience and ask those people to share it with others. Yeah, yeah, you can. I mean, uh, if you don't want to do it across the company and you're a little scared and hesitant and you want those stories, then sure, start small, start in a particular team and roll this out. Mm -hmm. uh, I like just making this a, a policy, you know, companies like Unilever have done a very good job of this. Companies like Cisco have done a good job of this. Uh, I just talked to a company, Magellan Health today. They do a good job of this. And their rationale is that um, just focus on the work. As long as you do a good job, I don't care when you do it. I don't care where you do it. You don't yeah. want to show up in the office. That's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, but for companies that are scared of that, 
the belief that you still need to show up to the office, um, you know, if it makes you feel more comfortable, then you can start to run tests and experiments and see the feedback that you get. Mm -hmm. And would you, would you think that radical transparency for an organization is good or does it introduce several risks that are maybe too risky compared with the benefits that it has? Transparency about salaries, about financial statements, about everything that people need to make decisions by themselves. Well, I don't think you can make a blanket statement and say like every company should be radically transparent. I think for some cultures, for some environments, that doesn't work. Like I can't imagine a company like um, Oracle doing that or IBM doing that. I think that would actually cause a lot of chaos in the company where hundreds of thousands of employees around the world all of a sudden know what everybody else makes. All of a sudden, everybody's upset and the company will just freeze. So I think that kind of a model makes sense for um, probably smaller companies mm -hmm. that um, you know startups like Buffer, for example, do a good job of that. Yeah. Um, or if a small company starts small and becomes big, and that was one of their practices that they've had the whole time, and they keep going with it as they grow. But um, sharing salary information and all that kind of personal stuff, I think, is very, very hard for a lot of larger companies. I know Whole Foods um, introduced something like that a little while ago. I can't remember um, what the outcome of that was. Uh, you know, they did get acquired by Amazon, obviously. Um, so I'm all in favor of being as open and as transparent as you can without making people uncomfortable. So yes. if your employees are all telling you they don't want that transparency, they don't want to know how much everybody else makes, don't make that a policy. Mm -hmm. So it's really about the comfort level of the employees of the people who work there. And so mm -hmm. any decision that you make should keep that in mind. And if you have, um, If you have, I mean, there are different people, they have different attitudes, they have different experience. What do you think, what, what is the minimum skill set of people that want to work in such a flexible and free and self-responsible organization? Can everyone do that? No, certainly not. I mean, a lot of people do want having, uh, or they do want having a... Um, where they do want to have, I should say, a manager who's constantly just telling them what to do, where they don't yep. need to think. They just kind of like, hey, here's your list of tasks, get them done. Mm -hmm. and so some people just want that paycheck. They just want to be told what to do, and that's okay. Uh, but there are a lot of employees who want that creativity. They want that freedom. They want to be strategic partners. They want to you know, do more. And so um, I think in, for those types of organizations, that's great, but you need to understand that not everybody wants that. Not everybody is comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And the way that you can find out, I mean, you, you look for employees who are self-starters. You look for account, uh, employees who are accountable, who are uh, comfortable working in an autonomous way. Employees mm -hmm. maybe who used to be entrepreneurs. Um, those types of employees are typically a good fit for this. Mm -hmm. But you don't want an employee who is kind of like, um, an, an order taker, so to speak, somebody who's always told what to do, you know, you maybe don't want to all of a sudden throw that employee into an environment and say, Hey, just do everything yourself and be autonomous and be uh, accountable for everything. Because they might not be comfortable with that. They might not know what to do, where to start, uh, that may might stress them out. Uh, mm -hmm. so you need to really just have conversations with your employees and see who's comfortable with it. Okay, and then you think it's uh, better to build an organization around existing employees and see which positions you, or roles you can create so that they feel comfortable? Um, wait, so build an organization around existing employees, you said? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. As, as opposed to what? Um, I mean, if you want to change your organization, yes. do you think it's it's good to stick to the current workforce that you have, to all the people, and build the new organization around people? Or do you think it requires more radical change and build the organization in the way that you want it to be and then to find the right people that want to work? I mean, for a large enterprise, that is not possible, maybe for different departments. Yeah. Or a mid-sized company. Um, yeah, I mean, it really depends. I wish there was a kind of a simple and easy answer for that. Um, you know, there are some employees who inherently are comfortable with change and they're willing to learn new skills and, and kind of adapt. And there are other employees who are resistant to change and they don't want to adapt and they don't want to change. So mm-hmm. I think it's good to bring those employees with you who are comfortable with change, who are willing to embrace these new concepts and ideas. And for employees who are not, you unfortunately, um, they probably won't have a place inside of your organization much longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in one of your talks or videos that I've watched, you were talking about see yourself as an app. Do yes. You remember? Yep. Yes. What do you mean by that? Can you explain it to our uh, audience? Yeah, of course. So seeing yourself as an app basically means that um, if you think about how many times a week or a month you update various apps on your phone, they're constantly coming out with new features, with new upgrades, with new things that you can do. And so I think we need to think of ourselves like that individually um, in much the same way, learning new skills, figuring out uh, the problem areas that we need to work on, finding those bugs and solving them. So you need to think of yourself as the app if you want to stay relevant in this rapidly changing world. So you got to update yourself all the time. You got to upgrade yourself all the time. Teach yourself the skills that you need to be successful instead of relying on other people uh, or on organizations or schools to teach you everything. So, I mean, you're the app, right? I mean, if uh, you haven't updated yourself or upgraded yourself in years, then uh, you're sort of like version one of Twitter, right? Version one of Facebook when that came out. And if anybody remembers those, I mean, it's very different uh, platform than it is now. So you want to stay relevant. You want to stay valuable. You want to uh, be attractive in the eyes of potential um, employers. And the way that you do that is you think of yourself like the app. I mean, update and upgrade yourself as often as you can. So the, the, I mean, if I understand you correctly, the most important skill set is continuous learning, right? One of them for sure. Yeah. Being this perpetual learner, teaching yourself new skills all the time. Absolutely. hundred percent. Okay. Um, do you think there is a value in, um, in, in college or in the university having a master degree? Because when you drop out of the university, your skills or what you've learned is already outdated. It depends on what you want to do. Um, so there are lots of master's degrees that you can get. Some are very specialized. Some are more general. Some companies require a master's degree. Some require a PhD. Some require a bachelor. So it really depends on what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't really speak to master's degrees because it's, they're very broad and specialized. Uh, in general, for bachelor's degrees, I think, yeah, you know, you should get a bachelor's degree because the reality is that almost every company around the world still requires a bachelor's degree to even be a potential candidate. And so unless you're already working on some multi-million dollar idea, um, and unless you've already proven and can demonstrate value, which is not most people because they're still young, they haven't gotten to college yet, 
yep. um, then yeah, you should get that college degree because if you don't, you immediately cut out like 95 to 99% of the opportunities that exist for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even startups, startups that were founded by people that didn't have college degrees ask for college degrees. <laughs> so <laughs> You know, it's, and sometimes we see these pundits go online and they say, oh, you know, college is overrated. You know, it's, it's a waste of time. It's easy for these people to say it because they themselves went to college and now they're multimillionaires running big companies. And so if you went to college and if now you're a multimillionaire, you really have no place telling other people who are in a less fortunate position to not go to college. Because for a lot of people, that's a way out. That's an opportunity for them to get a job, to build a better life for themselves. Um, And I think you do a great disservice by telling people just blanketly college is a waste of time. I think that's stupid. You build a lot of great relationships there. You learn basic life skills. um, And you also set yourself up for potential success in the future. And it's great. I understand a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs. But let's say you try to be an entrepreneur and you fail. Mm-hmm. And now you don't have a college degree. What are you going to do? Nobody's going to hire try you. Again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Try again. And, and yeah. you fail. Then what? You know, mm-hmm. meanwhile, you're living at home. Uh, you're not sure. able to raise money. You've, you've yeah. sabotaged yourself. And you've done it at a, at a young enough age where you, you can't build a foundation on top of that. Right. I mean, you're, you can't think about a family. You can't think about marriage. You can't think about buying a house. You can't think about those things because you didn't set yourself up for that. Um, instead, what I think is a more practical and pragmatic approach is great. You want to be an entrepreneur, do it while you're going to school, mm-hmm. right? Go to college, be the entrepreneur in college. And if all of a yep. sudden your idea takes off, it's making money, you're raising money. Great. You could put college on hold and focus on the other opportunity that you have. Mm-hmm. But just to say, I'm not going to go to college and I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I think is just stupid. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is a different um, a different mindset in what you need to become an entrepreneur because you need to experiment a lot. You need to sometimes fail. You need to get up again. Um, and college, especially how I know it from Europe or Germany. So we sit in college, then we read books, we do some exercises, and that's it. We don't. We are not taught to fail, and failure is not good. But yeah. From my for everybody. <laughs> yeah, as an entrepreneur, you will never make any progress with without failure. So how can how can the current education system support entrepreneurs? Uh, well, it doesn't really do a good job of that. Um, I mean, as you pointed out, the most schools don't do a good job of teaching entrepreneurship. You know, not all of them, but a lot of. Um, and I had Seth Godin on on my podcast a little while ago, and he said it. I think most accurately, he said schools are really designed to train you to think of what's going to be on the test, right? That's, that's what mm-hmm. schools do. You are, yeah. your, your mental, um, uh, your mindset is what is going to be on the test. And that's all you focus on. You don't think about learning new skills. You don't think about testing new ideas. You just think of what are the questions that are going to be on the test that I need to pass? How do I pass? Mm-hmm. So most schools don't teach um, those types of skills, but some are in the process of doing that. Um, some I think are doing an interesting job of trying to encourage uh, working on actual mm-hmm. case studies, working projects, creating classes where you have people from d- different disciplines who are coming together. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's not common. So we need more, more of that entrepreneurial mindset uh, definitely inside of schools. 
Okay. You travel a lot, I mean, in the US, in Europe, around the world, and mm -hmm. try to engage with people, interview CEOs and founders, etc. And you try to inspire people to change their thinking, their organizational thinking. Um, where do you see the difference between people in the US and in Europe? Do you have some experience with that? Uh, well, differences in terms of what? <clears throat> of change and of speed of change. You know, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I think it really depends on organizations right there. I mean, there are some amazing forward thinking organizations in Europe. Um, and there are also slow thinking organizations in the United States. So it's really hard to say like the United States is more forward thinking than the UK or mm -hmm. France is more forward thinking than the United States, because I think it depends on organizations. Um, fortunately, when I travel to different parts of the world, the, the companies who bring me in or the companies that bring me in, they're not the ones who are um, unpleasant places to work typically. Okay. Like companies bring me in because they are forward thinking, because they understand that change is necessary, because they understand that um, work is changing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, occasionally you'll get brought into a company that's like, look, nobody gets it. We need you to help them understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of the companies that bring me in, you know, are already on top uh, or are already embracing these concepts that change is necessary. So my lens is maybe a little bit um, tainted from that perspective. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I mean, to be honest, I think there are amazing companies in, in every country that I've been to in every city and in every part of the world. Uh, anything from Malaysia and Indonesia to France and Germany to Australia. I mean, I, I see amazing organizations everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. And if you, I mean, you, you said that it's not, a, it's not a cultural thing, but it depends simply on the organization. Um, what I see that in the US, there are many people that leverage freelancers and fluid or liquid workforces mm -hmm. and in germany it's very very hard because in germany everything is based on trust and personal relationships and this is very strong and to break this mindset that you can only trust people if you know them personally and if you see them face to face this is very very hard and that's one reason why in germany people or organizations don't uh, are not used to that way of work they they just struggle with giving control out of their hands. And do you have any ideas or hints how we could speed that up here when everything is based on personal relationships and face-to-face -face contacts? Um, well, business is always based on relationships. Um, I mean, the, the way that you start is you do it. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, when I first uh, created a, a virtual team, I had to give up control. I had to give people access to my emails. I had to give people access to personal information. Um, you start by doing it. But if you don't show um, any trust in other people, then they're not going to show trust in you. So yeah. the, you, you start by doing it. Start small. Um, figure one area where you can give up control, where you can give trust to other people and build on top of that. And sure, you know, it might happen where sometimes the trust gets violated, but that's the same for employees that are full-time versus employees who are virtual. I mean, there are plenty of full-time employees who have um, stolen information from companies. There are plenty of full-time employees who have leaked information to media Absolutely. and to press. There are plenty of full-time employees who 
bash their companies on social media and write terrible articles about them. And so that is, um, when something bad happens, it's not like a, it happened because these are freelancers. It happened right. probably because you're not treating those employees well, regardless of if they're full-time or not. Yeah. And so for me, I think the, um, what, what organizations need to do in Germany is just understand that, um, we live in a different world. Things are dynamic, they're fast. And in order to attract and retain the best people, you need to look beyond your four walls, probably beyond your country, beyond your city. Mm-hmm. And the freelance workforce is a great place to do that. And yeah, you will have to give up a little bit of control. It might be a little bit scary, but um, I think if you start small and if you have ongoing communication and dialogue, and build those relationships, you know, you can still build relationships like this virtually. Um, Just because you work with freelancers doesn't mean you will never see them. You know, you Mm -hmm. can arrange for them to come on site once a year or something like that. Um, But you have to start small. Mm -hmm. So start small and try to give up a little bit of control, leave your comfort zone, and then just see how things yeah, I mean, it's it's no different when you bring in um, full time employees. I mean, I, I don't see the I don't see the big difference between full time employees versus virtual yeah. employees. To be honest, I really don't. Um, That's good to hear, but here it's I mean, it's really different. Yeah, I mean, and, and for a lot of organizations, I wouldn't just say even in Germany. I think for a lot of companies around the world, they struggle mm-hmm. with that, and. Uh-huh. You know, that's fine. Let those companies struggle with it. But as things evolve, you know, in the coming years, they're going to struggle even more. And then a couple of years after that, they're going to struggle even more. And -hmm. eventually they're going to reach a point where they're like, man, we cannot find anybody to do these jobs. You know, I mean, there are companies out there where it takes like eight months or a year to fill a single job. Like that's insane. I had that. I had that many times. Yeah. Yeah. That's just nuts. That's just nuts. Um, meanwhile, everybody that I've hired on my team, um, mm-hmm. I've hired probably everybody on my team within 24 to 36 hours. Yeah. The same here. Yeah. I had, the, I had an idea to start a podcast. It was like three months ago. Then I found Chris, it was also an Upwork. And at the same day we had an interview and we started. And yeah. I was, I was looking for somebody here to do some administrative, um, I mean, not administrative, but system administrative work, DevOps engineering. It took me nine months. Then this person told me, okay, I want 90K per year. And it was very hard, very expensive. I told this person, "Mm, okay, you are in, I want to work with you. And then this person said, okay, give me two days. And after two days, this person said, "Ah, sorry, I have another job offer. They give me 120K. And I thought, "Mm, that can't be the truth. (laughs) Yeah, that's the situation here. That's very hard. That's why I want to help people to or organizations to start, just start with freelancers and make positive experience and see how things speed Yeah. Up. I mean, I think it's practical. It's easy. Um, yeah. And, you know, you need to be prepared that sometimes things might not go your way, but they also might not go your way with full-time employees as well. Absolutely. I mean, I've had uh, plenty of situations with freelancers that weren't great. There mm-hmm. are companies that have had plenty of situations with full-time employees that didn't go great. Yeah. It's... it's uh, it's still a part of your team. It's uh, yeah. dynamics, it's work, it's people, um, whether they're full-time or not, it doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, there were, there were some very, very interesting insights. Is there something that you want to to tell our audience that you want to leave on the show here? Um, well, I think specifically when we think about kind of the gig worker, um, gig work and freelance, 
uh, just start. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in building a business for yourself and being a freelancer, start and see how it goes. Uh, if you're a company looking to work with freelancers, same thing, start, see how it goes. Um, okay. There's only so much reading and research and all that sort of stuff that you can do before eventually you got to actually go out and do it. So yeah. my best piece of advice is just go out and do it. Don't overthink uh, no. everything. Just try and make your experience, right? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can think all you want, but, um, eventually you gotta, you gotta do. Mm -hmm. What's your next event where people can see you? Um, well, most of the events that I do are actually private events for companies that bring me in. Um, so I don't think I have a public one coming up yet, Mm -hmm. uh, but most of them are big companies that bring me in to talk to their executive team and their management team. Um, Mm -hmm. but If I do get a public facing event, all that stuff will be available on my website, which is uh, the future organization.com. Perfect. Where else can people find you to communicate with you, see your updates? Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Jacob Morgan. My email is jacob at the future organization.com. And then there's always the future of work university at future of work university.com. All right. Perfect. And thanks for taking your time and for all the very exciting insights. I was really excited and happy to have you on the show here. So then I wish you good luck and good success. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our guest, Jacob Morgan, for joining us today. You can find out more about Jacob at his website, thefutureorganization.com. You can subscribe to The Virtual Frontier or leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. If you want to learn more about virtual teams as a service, visit flashhub.io. On behalf of the team here at FlashHub, I'd like to thank you for listening. So until next episode, keep exploring new frontiers.